Greetings, everyone. I'm Reverend Liz Testa, and this is Lavish Hope, stories of resilience and overcoming. I'm so excited for you to hear this latest episode with Willis White, a dear friend and international performing artist who found the microphone at his first church at the tender age of three. A native of Kansas City, Willis spent several years performing on Broadway in such hits as Hairspray, Spelling Bee, and In the Heights. He has provided vocalist support for a broad array of artists, including John Legend, Kelly Clarkson, and Jordan Sparks. Coming out of the pandemic, Willis has continued performing as a live entertainer internationally by land and sea. Live from his rehearsal studio on the Ovation of the Seas cruise ship, Willis and I talk in this episode about his ongoing journey to live into his musical calling and the ways he has continually needed to be attentive to God's plan for his life. This has meant staying humble yet confident, understanding the difference between perfection and optimization, taking time to be introspective, and holding close the faith lessons his pastor father taught him. From KC to NYC to LA and around the world on the high seas, Willis's engaging storytelling style, wisdom, and insights offer rich inspiration, inviting us to consider our own gifts and how to keep pressing towards the high calling where we are blessed to be a blessing. I can't wait for you to listen in. Wonderful to be here on the podcast, Lavish Hope. I'm Liz Testa, and today I am interviewing my good friend and amazing international performer, Willis White. Willis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So exciting to have you here today. Willis, you have to tell our, our listeners where you are, a little bit about yourself, but also where you are right now. So fun. Okay. Well, I'm currently in Seattle. Uh, I am on the ship Ovation of the Seas mm-hmm. uh, here with Royal Caribbean. Uh, we just had our first test out from the port up the Alaskan coast. Um, I actually saw a few whales on our way back in. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I originally grew up in Blue, I'm sorry, Blue Springs, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, Midwest boy, uh, thorough Chiefs fan, <laughs> um, and uh, completed my undergrad in Chicago, just north of and Northwestern. And uh, then right after that, uh, headed to New York for some performing and uh, spent some years on Broadway out there. Um, between then there's been several projects and groups that I've been involved with the last couple of years has been a lot of guests entertaining on the high seas, uh, internationally. That's so fun. And so now you're back, you're able to safely go back. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I was, uh, this time last year, well, I have to actually rewind to February of 2020. Um, I went out to take out a new ship. Uh, we opened a new show on, let's see, March 12th. Um, rave reviews, the 14th, the, uh, all the passengers disembarked. And then for the next two months, I was, uh, sort of out at sea. Um, you've heard horror stories. You've heard great stories. Um, for us, it was more just kind of sorting where the world was going. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, the line that I was on at the time took really good care of us. We went to, you know, guest uh, suites with balconies. The food was wonderful. You have all your friends from around the world still, you know, all sorting what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was Bahamian sun. So I really can't (laughs) 
<laughs> I really can't complain about the time as things were adjusting. But yes, the industry had been down for a few months and uh, people have been connected through this time. And so it's nice to see uh, the reemergence of uh, the cruising industry and people who want to see these fantastic parts of the world uh, via like a nice little survey on a, on a boat, on a ship rather. Yeah, that's lovely. And it seems like just from um, what you were saying as we were preparing to come on air, that you're, you've got folks there that are just making real sure that wherever you're to go, that everything is um, as safe as possible. And if oh, there's absolutely. any, you know, any issues, you just decide to um, regroup a little bit with your itinerary. And so whatever's needed is is happening to keep people safe. Yeah. So that's great. I mean, I guess I would say in, in, in many respects, uh, folks, listeners are dealing with that as everything sort of reemerges that you're constantly sort of uh, reminded of how to get back to being fully open and enjoyed, but in a safe manner. And so protocols are definitely into place to make sure that things can be traced as well as it's still a fun experience and things like that. But safety is like at the forefront of every step that goes on here. So yeah, that's, that's nice. so good. I'm glad for you too, that you're in a safe environment and then you're back doing what you love to do. Absolutely. In the environment that you love to do it. <laughs> yes. And especially live. I know uh, a lot of performers have had to move towards a, a virtual existence and, and it's actually great to have both mediums. But I tell you, as a live entertainer, there is nothing like getting to uh, share with an audience and just, you know, getting mm. the feedback of how it made their day, you know, those kind of things. Um, so it's it's nice to be able to to be in this position to be doing that on a regular basis again. Yeah. What a blessing. So, Willis, there's so many things that um, that are running through my head right now because I do know <laughs> a, some little glimpses of your story. But as you know, the focus of this podcast, of course, is Lavish Hope, as the title suggests. And it's really about stories of resilience and overcoming. So yeah. I'm just thinking you've got several different stories um, or different contexts that you've been in where, where you could touch on that. But I'm wondering if, like, just to give you the space to share a little bit about, like, what does resilience mean to you? Where have you, how, what experiences in your life have given you the opportunity to kind of shape how you approach um, finding hope in difficult circumstances, overcoming things, building that that resilience. Um, just want to open it up for you to share whatever is on your heart to share in terms of um, your life. And uh, it could be from long ago, it could be from more recently, whatever you'd okay. like to share. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you say the word resilience, what comes to mind for me is continually picking up the baton and choosing to run. Mm. Um, I, I, I think resilience for me has evolved into its meaning because I used to think that it was, you were always Teflon that regardless of what came your way, um, you know, you could withstand it. And so I ran into challenges of when we're learning new tests in our lives that we have to overcome, you know, the lessons have to be harder because once we've learned them, then we can handle more. Mm. And um, I used to find when there were setbacks that somehow that was a question of my resilience and it wasn't that. And so um, I think through all of my experiences, what I have found, especially in my resilience, and I think the key component now looking at it of always picking the baton up and continuing to run is the reaffirmation of my faith. You know, when you when you have a source that's resilient, when when you have run into these challenges, when I've run into these challenges, I find myself even more 
understanding that I have such a foundation in God able to move me through things and able to see me where I am right now and say, now with all of these past situations that have been, you know, uh, miracles in my life, that I now have the tools that with this new thing coming up that I still, it's still going to be a tough challenge, but I know Mm -hmm. that I'm capable of picking up the baton and moving. And that's what resilience means for me. Um, I used to think that it it had this sort of perfection era instead of just being uh, optimization. Like how do we, instead of going up the hill and falling down the mountain and looking at another mountain and saying, see, you know, you didn't get anywhere. How are we constantly just building that graded elevation on a daily basis to Mm -hmm. just be able to be equipped with that? Um, A particular story that... um, uh, part of my life that it, this was this came into play um, right after I'd say my sophomore year of college. Uh, I was there at Northwestern University. Uh, I initially just came in as a political science major, even though I had been performing and I loved you know that I yeah, I got in on my academics and you know mm-hmm. of course I uh, tried out for the spring variety show that a friend had you know just sort of said I should and be involved in and then all of a sudden the music theater stuff <laughs> happened and then I find myself in a chorus line doing the original uh, choreography in the fall and I was like you know what you, you weren't going to get away from it <laughs> so um, after you can run involved, but you can't hide right <laughs> you know exactly. <laughs> God's got so, you on assignment to share those gifts. <laughs> I mean, and that's it. I was like, when you're on assignment, you, you've got to take it. So um, I completed that show. And then at that point, I wanted to be in the music theater program, but you had to be in the school of music or uh, the school of speech. And so um, I had a classical background, you know, briefly some voice lessons in high school. So I got involved in the school of music. Well, I was kind of adding things and I wasn't necessarily subtracting things while I was uh, there. So between the two degree programs and the three choirs and the voice lessons and the, and the you know, and any a semblance of a social life there in the undergrad experience, um, it was uh, it was vocally taxing and a little bit stressful. I was used to handling all these things. I mean, in high school, I kind of in my uh I guess my address book, I kind of had a 15 minute scheduler of like my work schedule and school and after school programs and things like that. So, of course, in college, I was like, I can still do this. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. the demands become higher. Yeah. And I think my body was sending me warning signals of saying you need rest periods. And I was like, but I have all these other people that I have to, you know, uh, take care of. I know with the music theater program, that was also going to provide me some scholarship opportunities to defray costs because I was making sure between that I could I could finance uh, my undergrad. And so at first it was acid reflux that sort of came through and I was trying to manage that. Um, and I also, in the school of music, I was pushing some material, um, early on, uh, to have a broader sound than my body should be doing on a, on a long-term basis. And I Mm. think, um, that was sort of compiled with, and, uh, finally I did switch vocal teachers and one who had, uh, you know, classical taught, but also taught a lot of the music theater students. And he could tell there was something that was just a little bit, you know, my voice was getting fatigued very, very quickly. Mm. And, you know, internally, you just sort of say, okay, just, uh, you know, up the water and I'll just take a break between here and it'll be fine. But, you know, at that point when it's showing those signals, there's been quite a bit of wear. Um, And uh, 
you know, at that point he had me go to my otolaryngologist uh, there in uh, uh, Chicago and uh, did a few tests and everything like that. And I found that I had two polyps on the side of my vocal cords. And that was kind of a reality check right there where my best efforts to sort of, you know, pull back some things. And, you know, there's these expectations that I just thought I had to meet the moment and I could, you know, but I wasn't listening to my body. I wasn't listening to myself. And uh, I tried as much as possible to pull things down after knowing that. And I was regularly seeing uh, my speech pathologist and everything. Um, But even with cutting down on some of those things, uh, there was one time that I did go in and on the other side that was clear, there was a pocket set to hemorrhage. So at that point, it wasn't my option to take a vocal rest. Uh, The surgery had to be moved up. And so May of, I want to say May of 2000, um, I the week before I sang, it's my, my best friend, his older sister, I sang their wedding there okay. in Kansas City because I knew mm-hmm. that would kind of be my last sort of performance. And I wanted to be that they've been like family to me mm-hmm. for years and years and years. Sure. And uh, then my mother and father came up to Chicago and uh, I had uh, laser surgery on uh, the uh, injury that I had sustained. And um, I'm actually thankful for this podcast right now for the opportunity to speak about this because, um, sorry, sorry, I get a little emotional about it. Mm -hmm. Um, 20 years ago, like people openly talk about these things right now. Um, 20 years ago, it was career ending, you know, to even think about, um, having an injury, Mm -hmm. um, and then going out into New York and trying to have a career. And I'm Mm -hmm. just thinking about the open conversations that I had with God about, was there something that I did, um, you know, that just, that I've got out of the way of this, you know, our fellowship, that this is happening. Is there something that I need to correct? Um, and just my own ongoing dialogue with God. And literally when we're talking about resilience, um, I remember my vocal teacher that I have, um, Kurt Hansen, I was like, just a blessed soul who said, you know, in terms of the mechanics and the sound, uh, it will come back in, in time and you will, you'll be fine on that. As he said, the biggest challenge that many uh, singers sort of have is the idea that you're, when you stop speaking, when you think you think in your voice, when you say, remember the keys, it's you, it's you talking, you know, and it's going to be interesting, the sort of mental um, journey that she'll go through in this experience. Mm. And I, I kind of understood that at the time when I went through it, I absolutely understood what that meant. You know, um, I, this was the first time in my life that I had uncoupled my voice from my experience in life. Um, I, that summer, because I wasn't performing, obviously all shows were canceled. I was finally going to play Che and Evita and no, Uh, but But I did take four um, amazing uh, poli sci classes at Northwestern (laughs) and I had a scribble pad and my uh, hand was completely fatigued. I made excellent (laughs) grades and I learned a lot that summer. Um, And thankfully there were a couple of my fraternity brothers that were in town over the summer. And I was, you know, I did the whole one for yes, two for no on the phone on things Mm -hmm. that I needed or not, you know, and eventually I could phone aid and it started to come back. And uh, that fall, 
uh, I was actually in charge of my acapella group uh, there uh, at the school, and I'd rewritten, uh, you know, a bunch of material for everybody, including the um, our alma mater song. I'd rewritten it in a, and opened it for the 150th uh, convocation. And wow. we had for four spots in this, uh, our group, there were, I believe it was 372 uh, new students that were auditioning. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and I had just enough voice by that fall. And, and of course, I know me, I wanted it to just be on a regular basis. I was mm-hmm. a little impatient. And I go to sing in front of all of my uh, teachers uh, for just the those shows that would be that that year. And um, I remember singing All Good Gifts um, from Godsville. And mm-hmm. I got to the part where I say, I really want to thank you, Lord. And it was in, uh, I could just phonate. I couldn't sing. And just tears streaming. I see professors literally in tears. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take this time to, uh, to heal. And uh, so I was walking back South Campus And uh, I had actually uh, went past, uh, there was an office where they uh, just checking in with the bursar and everything like that. And they had the study abroad office. And um, I had looked up Australia um, and had a dream about it. And I, you know, I called my parents and I was like, (laughs) I'm going study abroad or Australia. I think I made it like a 30 second conversation and then just hung up the phone. And of course they called back. (laughs) And, but, you know, I, again, I, I, I love, cause I'd love that word resilience because then I always think about, I think about the journey. I think about the journey. Mm-hmm. I think about continuing to pick up the baton mm-hmm. and I was given a specific mission of healing mm-hmm. and, and I, I was so thankful for going there. Um, and, uh, I mean, gosh, I feel like I have so many testaments from the, that experience of coming back. Resilience and uh, as it relates to the journey, I was so mm-hmm. thankful for my experience going down in Australia. And I took a a trip to Ayers Uluru, um, the giant monolith in the middle of of the uh, the continent country, uh, and had the experience of just looking out for miles and and the idea of just like I could just feel the presence of being obedient to a vision that was given to me 10 months before. And I just remember coming back, finishing up my uh, degrees and just where God had made personal promises to me Mm. of just saying, just to step out on faith. Mm. And so when the word step out on faith um, may seem heavy because it seems like the way people have heard that. And so I guess that's why I call it pick up the baton. You know, mm-hmm. like I've given you the legs to carry you. You know, these legs carry you. You know, it's, you know, you have your personal testimonies and miracles that I could write, that God can write a chapter mm-hmm. for you that's mm-hmm. named your name, that is named Chapter Liz, oh. that's named Chapter Willis, yeah. you know, and uh, so beautiful. With, with, yeah, with, with all the setbacks and everything, it's. The, the story there is the resilience. So, um, you know, I did, I moved out to New York after graduation. Um, and uh, I actually, um, I went out for three weeks before graduation. I went to uh, audition for a show that had come in 
And I went across the hall and said there was ragtime that was going on. And I was like, okay, well, I love the music because I was singing, you know, Wheels of a Dream. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Frank Galati was the director. He was actually a professor there at Northwestern right before I got there. So, of course, um. I would always sing Wheels of a Dream in like these alumni events. Um, anyway, met some really wonderful people there. I didn't get the show that I auditioned for, but I got cast in Ragtime and <laughs> provided housing and it was summer. So it was like right after graduation, packed up my car, went out there and I was instantly in a show. And then that was a wonderful experience. Met some people that are lifelong friends right now um, that then that show that I didn't get, I was actually right up for it. So then they called me and said, are you available? And so then I got that one that filled out <laughs> my great. summer. Yeah. And then met a friend there that I was able to, you know, sublet there in Brooklyn. And as I was working in the fall, I booked a Christmas show that then gave me my equity card. And the director, I was like, the choreographer for that was uh, Josh Gassi, who was not only a, at the time, a dance captain, Hairspray. And I had been in that audition you know, left and right. I'd been a Lion King circuit and everything, all these, mm -hmm. these auditions. And so finally I booked an off-Broadway show there that December where I was covering, I think five different roles and they had had me for dance captain because of my experience on my resume, right. uh, which I'm a strong mover. And at the end of the day, I can make it work, but I was in <laughs> the mindset of just like, just stick me in front of a mirror, give me information and I will make it look like that. I didn't have the <laughs> technique, you know, I didn't grow up in the studios for 20 years. It was just, yeah. I'm going to figure it out in my feet. I'm going to write down every step. And it's like a, almost like a twister connect the dots, but I know how it felt and how it looked. And so if I can integrate that into my body, I can make it look exactly like so. So you wouldn't know the difference of all the work I put on the side. It's the finished product. So anyway, um, <laughs> I got my equity card. I did the off-Broadway show and uh, God moved me a cl little closer to 42nd Street. And so May <laughs> 2003, a year after graduating, I booked my first Broadway show, which was uh, Hairspray. Uh, it was the week before the Tony. So and they wanted, uh, I went into the Broadway company with the option to take the national tour. And I chose that because I wanted to originate a role and travel the country and everything mm, like that. And um, yeah, so I, you know, life sort of took off from there. I ended up in three different Broadway shows, uh, awesome. Putnam County Spelling Bee that was mm -hmm. off Broadway, transferred to Broadway, went back to Hairspray for a little bit. And uh, yeah, my last uh, Broadway show that I did uh, was In the Heights, which uh, obviously this summer is sort of the big sensation, um, getting to, you know, Lin-Manuel's first uh, Broadway show. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a great telling and some wonderful people that are involved and everything like that. How was that being in In the Heights? It was, a, oh gosh, it was a it was a fantastic experience. Um, you know, I did leave one portion of my career out that I actually have to put back in. Uh, the So I finished up my second uh, Broadway show, went back to Hairspray for a little while. Um, when I mentioned going out to New York after college, I've always loved law and uh, entertainment. They've been my two passions. It was the mm -hmm. after school projects. It was the classes. Then it became the degrees with poli sci and music. And but then real life, it's like, you, you know, how to balance both of those. Mm -hmm. um, I always knew at some point I wanted to attend law school. I wanted the education. 
And it was, you know, I was, I remember sitting in the opera lab after, you know, everything had kind of happened uh, post-surgery, but before New York thinking, well, do I just go straight to law school after undergrad? And I was like, I just, I want some life experience. So I did opt, you know, to go to New York as I was on assignment. Mm -hmm. Um, After my second Broadway show, or after going back to Hairspray, uh, I said, you know, is it time to go to law school? I said, all right. Uh, Lord, if if I have a, a nice little nest egg sitting there where I can study for the LSATs and do this properly, um, I will head to law school. And I kid you not, Liz, it was uh, under three weeks. I had a Sprint National commercial and a Nike National commercial. And so it was <laughs> like, your was. funding's there. And I said, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord will provide, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Since Ravens. And so yeah. I just, uh, so at that point, I mean, every single morning, I, uh, I remember the um, the coffee shop that I played, they'd play uh, Johnny Cash every morning. And I would mm-hmm. just sit there and exhaust these LSAT books. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up attending uh, UCLA Law and wow. I finished uh, my first two years. And at the time that I left New York was just when In the Heights was leaving 37 Arts, the this uh, small institution where they were building it and then moving to the Richard Rogers. And so I'd always been in that mix. Um, there was a call that came up after that second year, and I knew it was sort of in its uh, sort of second phase of, of its life of whether how long it would run. Um, and so I remember walking on the beach in the spring, just hearing the soundtrack, and it was just resonating with my heart. I was like, I got to go back and just you know, put my face back into that and, and, uh, you know, that experience. And so I ended up booking, uh, you know, my third Broadway show in the middle of, and I remember calling in the middle of law school, in the middle of law school, you know, Uh, (laughs) and, uh, you know, again, I've told you me and choreography. So uh, I have a friend of mine that was in the show and I was like, look, okay, what's the, what's the audition cut going to be? Because you know me, I need to work it out. We'll be fine. And so, yes, I did my, you know, nice little twister, like arm is here and it speaks (laughs) this way and it feels like this and then, you know, put it all together. So thankfully that component when I went there was not the challenge. And then of course the material is so nice and everything like that. So I found myself that fall, um, you know, just really back suddenly dancing again, except, you know, from case books and sitting and studying to like back in the life, you know, and it really reaffirmed. I always had an appreciation for what a Broadway actor, dancer, the resilience, again, another Mm -hmm. component of it Mm -hmm. is required, but I had such an appreciation and thankful for processes that I've adapted from different people and things like that, the discipline to be able to come back and uh, perform, you know, materials such as that. Um, It was a wonderful experience getting to meet a whole new cadre of like of, 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 dancers and performers that I hadn't seen before or had been in other shows that I got to mix in with. I have to give one shout out. So um, there's this big number in the middle of In the Heights, 96,000, that's danced with this beautiful, you know, choreography. And it's the big hit in the middle. And it's sort of like every show kind of has that for then the storyline to kind of progress or whatever. And so not only was I, I had this experience that I had in my very first show when I was 15, my little professional show where you watch someone else doing the show and then you have this immediate like minor panic where you're just like, what have you got yourself into? And then I, I was like, I've done it every show. And then it's like, it's it's a it's a laugh inside, but it's like, oh my gosh, that's going to be me in 
uh, T minus 14 days. So, <laughs> but then it's like now to have watched, and I remember summer of 1995 of that happening to now when that was happening, you know, 15, 20 years later, that little moment that it's like, it's a little tongue in cheek thing, a little moment that I have a guy, I was like, we'll figure it out. But um, so after that number, you know, I'm just kind of sitting back and there was just this performer that walks forward and she starts with her number and it's, it's Olga Meredith. And mm. she just, and she talks about her, her uh, experience in the sh- song, Pacentia Fe, Patience and Faith. And I tell you, when she gripped everyone out of the seat, you know, they'd just been entertained this big number. And then she starts and she pulls you in and say, I want to tell you a story of how we got to this moment of celebration. There was a lot of struggle. There were a lot of things I had to go through. There were a lot of, you know, people have to lay the groundwork. And I really found that touching. And I also felt that resonated, particularly when you're looking at, you know, your own experiences where you uh, part of going through things is to build that groundwork to keep that that grade of being able to walk on a higher plane, you know, instead of just going up and down the mountain and not feeling like you have ownership in it. It's like those things that we go through and the resilience help us and prepare us for the bigger things that we can handle in our present. And so it's not to be discounted when you have something tough that you're dealing with right now because of the fact that you have so many tools, if you just look at those experiences that um, you've had in the past, that has taught you that you can pick up the baton, that it's not starting from way back when. And you can take, you know, joy and comfort in that relationship. And I do think that is actually a building of faith as well. It just seems to me like that is such a hopeful, you know, we're, we're always looking for like, how do we cultivate hope? So yes. this, this having resilience, this sense of overcoming, and then where in, in like when, when the times are challenging, where do you find actual hope? And I, I heard you talking about the walk in obedience, that obedience, <laughs> obedience has its rewards. I'm very, very fond of saying so. um, that, you know, you know, that you're on the path that God is, wants you to be on. Um and then also that uh, that that sense of being rooted in your faith. You did mention that earlier as well. But I'm just hearing this echo of where do you find hope? Where do you find hope? And so that building of resilience as like you go and you pick the baton back up, you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning. That's right. That's right. right? Is that is does that is that accurate? Oh, that, like that's that's a big that's yeah, a big and, piece and of it, rec- it seems and to me. Recognition of that. It's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously, like, when there is a new challenge, again, like we said, there, it, the reason it is, it feels and the experience is a challenge is because it's a new lesson. So it's got to, you know, you got to build that muscle. Um, but understanding that that doesn't mean you're weak. That doesn't mean you haven't shown up. If anything, it shows you that you have what you need mm-hmm. to be able to withstand and prevail and not in this sort of blind sense of it, it's ownership and the fact that I was like, your faith sustained you, your faith built you, and you're part of that process. Mm. You know, it's not like we're surrendering to God in a helplessness. I was like, it is the gift that he gives us to understand our bond with God mm. and collectively. So He like, again, picking up the baton is my part. But giving me the strength, giving me the remembrance, giving those are the things. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like this really hit home at the time 
when the pandemic happened last year, because it took a lot of, you know, I, I get this image of the umbrella. Oftentimes in our lives, we are holding up the umbrella around for the things that we need to take care of, family, um, our own selves. And this gave us a little bit of chance for, you know, for most folks where you did have some time to do some introspection, you know, and it wasn't that you could always default not taking care of yourself to then, uh, you know, the day-to-day task and the driving and the commute and the all the other stuff where, you know, I, I took this for me personally, uh, the time for some introspection on things that I normally defer and then I give the excuse I don't have time to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, and, and that was one part of component of it was, you know, where my faith stands, where my relationship stands, um, you know, just in terms of moving forward in, in, in my career, who I am as a person, who I am, uh, you know, as a believer, being able to contextualize and sit and examine of like all these moments in my life where, I've, I've, I've needed to be able to, to have this conversation in my life of just like, what is that? What does resilience and faith mean for me? Is hope this sort of abstract thing way out there? And if I wish on it, it'll come here. Or is there something with more sustenance to feed where I'm at right now? So it's a constant remembrance. Is there a building block? And that, mm. and, and, and that's been something that has been helpful to synthesize and be able to look at challenges right now and see them at their face value that yes, it's a new step, but I'm not starting at zero. Yeah. You know? So good. That's so good. And I think in our society today, we have this sense of like out with the old in with the new. Yep. So sometimes yes. I think we do forsake your uh, discount the things that have come before because we think like they're the former things. But right, like right. in in scripture, when 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 that is talked about, right the the old the old ways, the ancient uh, ways of thinking about these types of things was never to throw everything out completely. It was, no. I think, it was a given that yes, everything builds on itself, right? Everything mm-hmm. is part mm-hmm. of your journey. It's part of that path that God is is placing before you, God's plans and purposes for you, and so that sense of journeying and not having to start fresh and new every single time. And it's just kind of a Western society thing, I think, that we're supposed to like start. But I know, you know, we both have this, uh, you know, background in in the arts. I my first career was in show business myself, and it was this thing of like you're starting over every time when you go into every audition, right? It's like you're only as good as your next audition and the next show that you're going to be in. But you have to think about it on a continuum, otherwise you'll go crazy because it's like you're yes. starting every time. You have to start from the beginning, and you actually don't. It builds on itself as you've articulated so beautifully with your career. Um, so I'm just wondering, um, Willis, we have time for just one more story, and I just um, okay. was wondering if you. Would it kind of plays into what you were just talking about? Um, you're singing the national anthem uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs, and that that uh-huh. story, like what you were doing there, and then sort of like how that all came into being. It's a beautiful um, example of that, like sort of do it, like being being attentive to what God is asking of you in the moment. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, that was back in uh, December second, uh, two thousand thirteen. Uh, my father had passed uh, the mm. year before. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was turning 70 and it was Thanksgiving was coming up. Uh, it was the first year that of course my dad wouldn't be there. And so mm-hmm. I had this quasi patriarchal, uh, 
step in that I had to take mm-hmm. care of, make sure the family was steered through for the holidays and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so an opportunity had come up where uh, my name had got mentioned in the summer for someone who had handled and facilitated, you know, national anthem performances, <laughs> um, sent a video of me singing and said, okay, of course, when, you know, would you like? And uh, I'd actually picked, of course, uh, at the time, our, our big rival was Denver. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, and then the second game, of course, going to be ladder in the season, because usually that was going to be who was going to come out of the AFC West as, you know, emerge as a champion. So it was a quasi, <laughs> you know, divisional championship. You are clearly um, a Chiefs fan. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's part of the story. That's really good. I love it. I love it. And so, I mean, we were at that point, I think it was Denver was, we were 13 and three and Denver was like 12 and four or something like that. I mean, it was a high stakes game. Um, I remember uh, that day before sitting outside in the parking lot, we do it. There's a bunch of tailgating that goes on right out, outside mm-hmm. the stadium. And of course my nerves are up trying not to show it. It's like, this is a, a big deal. Um, I had been singing, you know, the national anthem at stadiums for, I don't know how many years, uh, and learned all different systems where you don't sing with your echo or you're going to be late and it'll go under. And then you can figure out echoes of just timing of things and hearing your own voice, hearing what's coming out into the mic, what is on, you know, out of the speakers and calibrating that. And it's, it's a mental process that like, you don't want to experience and then you do once you understand it. But anyway, (laughs) I always say the reason why, you know, people get lost in it sometimes is if, if you tell the story of what the the material is actually supposed to be uh, talking about, you know, um, then you won't get lost. Uh, And Mm. there's, there's one line, everyone seems to get lost. And I know because I used to get lost there every single time because I swore I'd already sang it before, but that wasn't the situation. It's like uh, over the ramparts we watch or Seagal and Lucy. And it's, it's interesting if you're actually visualizing what's happening in the song, you don't actually, in my opinion, you don't get lost because you're, you're understanding why it's put there. But anyway, um, the, uh, so we're out in tailgating and I said, you know what, when I go inside this gate, it is going to be what it's going to be. Um, you are, you've been purposed here. You know, you've been in these situations time and again, you know, again, building on the past, mm-hmm. you know, that. Uh, and so when I walked in, I got a sense of calm. Um, I mean, the full fanfare is going on. The music's playing. Everyone's sort of, you know, it's just it's a, a very celebratory event with high stakes. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had four of my buddies uh, that I got to bring along with me and they were sort of like the entourage, uh, <laughs> you know, just but, you know, just also just being like, this is a cool experience to share with, you know, friends sure, I've had for sure. 20 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And I just remember before we were in uh, one of the, the little like uh, entryways. And where the, the players come in and I turned to them and I, and I, you know, they looked at me and they're like, are you ready? And I was like, and I'd already got my calm on. Mm-hmm. And I looked at them. I was like, uh, guys, are you ready? And of course you see like Wes Welker and Peyton Manning coming through and they're like losing like, Oh man, Oh man. It's, awesome. it's like, dude, you guys got to keep me calm. I'm about to sing out there. You know? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, I, I, you know, take my position there, uh, as we're, you know, honoring, uh, the country and some service troops over there. And I remember there was just a wall 
full of, of press and it was, and then there was a lady that was counting at me and I had all of my favorite Chiefs players. They were in the white uniforms. It's December. So it's cold and you can see their breath, like going out above them. And it's like in these slow plumes, this person is, is, is counting at me slow and I could feel my heartbeat out of like my left ear, mm. but I was like, plant your feet. And I don't even think I remember, I just remember the counts of the last three seconds and then I just asked, I asked God in that moment to just use me and, mm. and that performance. It's actually on YouTube, that, that uh, performance of that. Uh, so I sang and then uh, I just remember afterwards, the, you know, the crowd roared and I had, uh, you know, Coach Reed uh, come up and was like, that's a way to do it. And I was like, I just felt like the, the happiest dude in the world. Cause I was, like, I was just like, you want me to suit up? I was like, I'll play. <laughs> <laughs> Got to help the team win. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a wonderful experience. And, you know, I did take, and there's a picture that I have. Um, I wish I could uh, show you that I took my of my dad that I had in my uh, heart pocket in my, um, oh, that's so uh, my jacket. And uh, that was a great, wonderful experience. And again, just another one of those uh, tiny, tiny miracles in the book of Willis that like yeah. the chapter of Willis yeah. that when I, as it continues to be written that I can, I can pull from and then, you know, um, circumstances where I look around and say, this is, this is bigger than uh, anything I ever could have imagined that God quickens to you. There's like, but I've prepared you. Yes. You know, and, and that's the thing is you've, you've had the preparation. I've sent you through things mm. that I've stressed, you know, the, the test and, and, and you've, you've remembered, you've, you've drawn, you've drawn closer into me. You've drawn closer into the experiences that I've uniquely, uniquely purposed you for. And uh, so, that, that to me is, was one of the great. stories that I, I loved about that. Yeah. And then you bless others when you do that, right? Yeah. I would just say like that is one of my favorite things about entertainment right now is understanding. Like I just finished a show that I sold out run there in Kansas City before mm-hmm. I left uh, where we did a bunch of the favorite like disco songs because, you know, <laughs> just that time in that era where people could actually just participate and sing with but I'm reminded now whether it is me singing at a service in the morning and ushering in what uh, that means or performing for the audience is, is being able to touch someone's life, to impact lives through the gift that was given. And so in that, you know, unique purposing that I know that my instrument is an instrument of praise and is an instrument of touching lives. And so in, in that way, I, I, feel, I feel whole and purposed in that way. And to come from that journey 20 years ago where I said where the voice was taken, you know, was was gone for a period. And I had to understand, you know, beyond just the beauty of the sound, but just the yeah. intent of it and yeah. the integrity of it and being in the best seat in the house to be able to facilitate that. It's it lends a sense of gratefulness to me. Yeah. And that that piece of gratitude, right? That's that's also part of all of this this discipline, right? Of building yeah. resilience and overcoming and having hope and seeing your purpose is also having gratitude for the blessings and how absolutely one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So Willis, you're talking about this concept of um, when you realized perfection was not what it was about. It was more about optimization, mm-hmm. and that it's all part of this kind of 
purposing yourself, right? And so I'm just wondering, how do you, um, you know, as a believer, as a Christian, how do you ground yourself in that? What do you have scriptures that you use? How do you start your day? I mean, for for me, uh, I actually have, I have one of my father's uh, Bibles that uh, he had, I mean, he had, uh, you know, a hundred of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was one where, you know, he had just written, and I'm always just looking for a little uh, things like that, uh, just, just context of his walk. Cause he was just such a mm. fascinating guy. Mm. Um, and there were, there was a piece of paper where he had written down three Psalms and did put every day. And mm. one was the 119th Psalm, the 37th and the 91st. And I just decided, you know, one more that that would be what I would incorporate into my, my morning. And mm. I found myself, you know, like one section where it's almost like the Old Testament, um, you know, Beatitudes, if you will, just, you know, it, it, it tells you, you know, to rest in the Lord, wait patiently mm. and, and, and things where it, you know, oftentimes when we wake up and we have things that we have to do during the day, yeah. half of it, if we really think about it, we're rehearsing how we're supposed to feel about it. We're rehearsing what someone else thought about it and what we feel we have to take on in order to overcome it as if, you know, and that's why it feels like, you know, such a big mountain to climb, you know, when the part that you, there's going to be the challenge that you have to obviously deal with, but you're not starting from scratch. And so, mm -hmm. you know, what I love about these verses is it grounds and, and gives you perspective of mm. where you're standing. Are you standing at the bottom of the mountain looking up or have you actually done some climbing over this time that you're mm. just looking at the next, well, the level between there? So mm. yes, you have to press, you know, that much further, but, and that, that part does require you picking up the baton, but you're not starting at the bottom of the hill. Mm -hmm. And there's ownership in that. There's strength in that. There's fellowship between you and your faith. It's the fellowship that then when other things are coming around and people are involved and calls are being made and, and you have to interact with the world, you're not sitting there reactive to how they feel about it. You, you're, you know how to engage them. You know how to assess them. You've, you've done the inner work to emanate outward rather oh. than waiting for the outward to affect okay. you, you know? And I think, you know, just having that morning sort of build up for me has proven, you know, just immensely just uh, a, a, a liberating process um, because I don't feel that I'm subject to what may come at me I'm, and I'm not reactive it is a way to then just have a language to be able to handle it. Hmm. And uh, again, you know, it is, it has given me a, a sense of resilience in that, that, that sense. So, yeah. So beautiful. And I mean, that sense of being rooted in the word, right. Yes. And just having that. And then there's also something here. I mean, your father is just smiling on you from heaven because, you know, what a beautiful sense of legacy, right? From generation to generation that you are taking up those Psalms, that those scriptures that were so life-giving for him and that you're continuing to use them. Um, there's something so poignant and so powerful about that. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I do think, you know, I, as fascinating as, uh, you know, my journey appears, I was like chapter of Willis and my father is, is just 
phenomenal from where, you know, God put a testament in his heart and the sticks of Arkansas with nothing, you know, and, and moving him through, you know, in these major platforms where his call and his assignment is to be used to affect the lives of others mm. and to value and champion the old and the poor and the needy and the children. And that was like, you know, just a little example. Like I, I always remembered, I was like, I remember when I was a kid and, you know, all the kids would be round up at the, you know, the front of the pulpit and, you know, he would, he would have, you know, he'd just say, you know, you know, say, you know, uh, say God is good, you know, and like have a kid <laughs> speak in the mic to give them confidence or say, you know, and he would give little things to all of us. And then he would have, you know, the organist play a little song we could all sing together and then have the church stand up around us and clap and support. And then he would have the adults in the church pray over this generation. And what would happen was every couple of years that would happen again. And so, you know, he preached for 53 years. There are there are generations that I still remember, you know, coming in those last few years where we did that. The new kids were coming in and you'd have, you know, the one that ready to jump up to the mic and, you know, the the humble one that then would say something. Everybody's like, yeah, you know, and they would feel that sense of pride. They would feel that sense of connection to God. They would feel that sense of why this community is a community and why, you know, you can build your faith here. And I, you know, again, God using him to 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 be able to inspire people in this place in, in the future is a, is a great way to sort of look at even now. And I think of it in my circumstance of not knowing necessarily what my future is, but knowing that I'm positioned in a place with the gift that he's given me to be able to share that, to be able to share my faith in real time with a friend, you know, over podcast, um, <laughs> which is also reaffirming my faith. And I was mm-hmm. like that sense of community. And I really think it's very important, especially in these days and times for us to be doing that in an active approach, because we never know who we're touching and who we're able to reaffirm that for us to be able to make a difference to others. Amen. And, you know, you just sparked for me, um, just remembering something recently that you did, where we have a dear sister friend from our uh, previous choir that we were both part of, who is now in a completely different state, right? Yeah, and she's yeah. going through some treatments now and struggling and um, and being open about it uh, and sharing. And you just yes. gathered, just put out the word to the group of us that, you know, we're still in touch with each other to say, hey, shall we put together something to send to her to just lift her spirits? And I just think, you know, like, what was it, Willis, that just spurred you on to do that? You know, I mean, there you were in the middle of your successful run in Kansas City, (laughs) doing your thing, singing your disco songs. It just just touched my heart, you know, because oftentimes when you're, especially when you're communing with God and, you know, and you're praying over things, you're in a grateful place. And also people will come to your mind that it's just like, you know, where you just, you want to be able to be able to share some love and everything like that. And, and also, especially in this pandemic period, I was mindful to make sure that I was checking in on people as they came Mm. to my thoughts, even if as simple as, you know, you don't have to reveal the, the back purpose of it, but it's like people like to be thought of in this time as as we have been we were physically not allowed to commune um and so she was one that had just come up in in my heart and i also thought again as you shared just the wonderful times and family that was there you know in the marble collegiate uh choir um and i you know she's part of that family and i just 
I just felt like, you know what, like these, this is the type of community you can actually just check in right now and, and, and just send some love. And the great thing was everyone who I sort of, you know, reached out to, it was just like, oh yes, this is a great idea. And, you know, make sure you contact so-and-so and so, and then, and then, you know, besides the love gift, just being able to on video, you know, mm-hmm. send, send that message of how much we care and how much we're still family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you could just feel from every single person, how to when that remains today and that's that's a beautiful thing and a testament in itself you know and so that's that's why that came to me because I'm I'm in the state that like I I would I would love to just just as a regular practice just where I feel you know I want to just check in with someone and 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 just see how they're doing and just the ability to send that love you know it just made a bigger statement with just you know a bunch of friends also just being able to get together and share that yeah yeah, and it gave us all a sense of purpose together. You know that, like yeah. we could all do something and exactly. send and share our love that way. And that's that, right. and but you did facilitate that, and I think that's a it's you know that that's a particular thing. It's it's something that you know God put on your heart and gave you yes. a clear way for how to do it. Because I think some people are like, oh, I'd like to do something, but it doesn't come to them. Right. Right. So, so I hope there's, there's at least one person out there today that hears this story and then realizes, Hey, I could do that too. You know, I could take that step. I could do that thing to, to help gather people together um, through, you know, across time and space virtually to be able to bless another. And, and, you know, if we can help somebody along the way, right. As Mahalia Jackson said, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) our living will not be in vain. So yeah, you're certainly um, living testimony to that. So thanks Willis for sharing so much of yourself today um, on Lavish Hope. (laughs) I'm wondering if, um, how can our listeners follow you, your career and know where you're performing next and all that good stuff? Well, I've got my website and it's uh, williswhitemusic.com. Um, and I will actually be putting more features of just my experience on the ship as we're getting, uh, uh, ramped back up and everything. Cause that's it's still great. a process. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's basically the best way, uh, to just get your updates. And, and do everything. you have, you have like a Facebook page too, maybe? For I do Willis have a Facebook White? page. Yeah. Yes. Willis Good. White Music. Good. Um, uh, well, both of those are the same. So just, just Perfect. put music at the end of my name and, uh, you will Great. definitely get the, all the updates. Excellent. And then they can also tap into some of those recordings of some of your stuff that you've Absolutely. done as yeah, well. There's videos and recordings and everything like that. And there's more to come. That's so great. That's so great. Well, Willis, you know, I just remember so fondly our time together um, with the Marble Collegiate Gospel Choir when we traveled South Africa (laughs) and, you know, all the things that we learned there. So that shared experience that we had and um, just hearing more about, you know, the stories of your life. I I understand every day you just show up with so much joy and sense of purpose um, on that trip. And so now hearing how that's just sort of ripple effects through your whole life. I see where you get it from. The source, (laughs) right? The source. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Willis. And um, many blessings on your time on the high seas. Thank you so much for listening. I hope more than anything, this episode has brought you one step closer to exploring what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming means to you in your own life. You can connect with Willis and listen to some of his performances at williswhitemusic.com, as well as on social media. He'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave me a comment, and reshare any place you're on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. 
This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. The Lavish Hope Podcast is produced by Reverend Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker, sound design by Garrett Steyer, and web support by Grace Reuter and Barb Ellis.